Welcome to Mosaics, a podcast featuring the vibrant and diverse stories of refugee resettlement in Idaho. I'm your host, Holly Beach, with the Idaho Office for Refugees. Today, I'm here with Kim Mitchell of Idaho Falls. Kim and her husband, Joe, are part of an effort to help refugees resettle in eastern Idaho and Idaho Falls, which is really exciting because there's not a resettlement agency there. And so uh, we haven't seen arrivals in that community um, for many decades. Joe and Kim have been working to sponsor people through sponsor circles and Uniting for Ukraine. And they presented at the Idaho Conference on Refugees this year. So we're going to be able to hear that workshop And before we launch into that, Kim's here with me to kind of share updates and maybe give any advice to anyone else who has been interested in becoming a sponsor themselves. So welcome, Kim. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about what first sparked you and Joe's interest in being sponsors. Two things. We lived near Tibet with our children for seven years with a minority people group. We shared family life with them and property with them. So we've always... For, for a long time, I've been interested in a cultural exchange and learning from other people and sharing ideas um, and just all the fun that comes with that. So that would be one of the main things. And then the other one is Joe and I just personally have a relationship with Jesus, and it's very clear in the New Testament that we should love the people who are foreigners and be inclusive and just from, from his love for us, God's love for us, we wanted to share that love in Idaho Falls with some who was in a situation of oppression and just that they would have freedom and a new, a new start at life and be able to bring their, their, their culture here as well and share with other people. So we wanted that two-way exchange. We, we, we miss that so much, the, the food and the fun and the friendship of sharing cultures. And so that was uh, part of what motivated us. That's very cool. So the first connection you had was with three Afghan pilots who your group sponsored to bring to Idaho Falls. Can you tell me a little bit about that process and if it looked like what you expected it would look like and if anything surprised you? We, we knew it would be a lot of work, but we had no idea how much. So that, I guess that was a surprise. I, I, it didn't surprise us, but one of the funnest things was just the amount of laughing that we did together. We all had such funny, um, sometimes mishaps, and also a lot of new shared experiences. And so that was fun. So yeah, it was a mixture of work and fun. And tell us a little bit about the second sponsor, Uniting for Ukraine experience. What's Who did you welcome through that experience? There we welcomed a family of four, now five, couple oh, with a Russian um, father and a Ukrainian mother and, then, and a five-year-old son and a grandmother. And then since they've been here, the mother and father, their family welcomed a, a new baby. Wow. So. And how are your these these pilots and this family? How are they doing now that they've been in Idaho Falls oh. for a few months? <laughs> they're they are. Joe always calls them rock stars. They know everybody in Idaho Falls and are friends with just everybody from the mayors of um, Idaho Falls and Ammon to pharmacists to people at the hospital. They they have internships in their field. They're retraining two of them as nurses and one as an electrical engineer. 
and friends there and gotten jobs like at the hospital and out at the INL and they have second jobs and they're just, everybody admires and loves them a ton. That's really cool. Did you have any reservations about what Idaho Falls would be like for people newly resettling? It's a, how many people live there and is it, um, did you feel like it would be a welcoming place with good resources for people resettling? There's about 60,000 people in Idaho Falls. We felt like there would definitely be some struggles. We didn't have a transportation system when it started. And one of the com- the companies that the guys initially worked at is outside the city limits. So transportation was an issue. Housing is really tight. So we wondered about that. But we've had actually a, a house that, like a charity, Don's Lutheran gave us the use of for a while. And then we actually had a donation by a private individual of a home to use for as long as we need for refugees. And so we were, it's two floors. We were able to house both families in that, which saves them income while they're retraining and going to college. So yeah, those were hitches, but they, they worked out okay. The other one is honestly, Joe and I were a little stressed. It's the, about the, um, bringing Muslims here, but but we've gotten to know the Muslim Association, and they were a wonderful bridge. And also, we haven't had the backlash or sentiment that may come from having people who who come from somewhere so what, what seems so different from us. In fact, people have realized that these pilots are patriotic and hardworking and just embrace them wholeheartedly, especially the military here, military people. So it's been great. We've had a, a small frustration from a few people, but the pilots themselves have never heard that. They said they have had just 100% good interactions and their lives would be perfect here if their wives were here. Yeah, a lot of people got separated from their families in that process. We just heard from two pilots a couple of weeks ago on the podcast who also had to leave loved ones behind. As you work with these pilots through the asylum process, do you have any timeline in mind for when they could bring their families here? We haven't heard. The lawyer who works with them had given them uh, a hopeful date of sometime in May that they would get their own asylum. And then after that, they would be able to apply for their wives to come. But the bottleneck is huge and, and and they haven't been given new information as far as I know or a new timeline. And so it's very indefinite, which is their largest stress because obviously as couples, they have no idea how many years, months or years it will be before they're back together again. Can you tell me about you and Joe's lives? What has shifted in your perspective because of this experience? just reinforcing that that friendship between people of various cultures just enriches our ourselves we we felt just richer from and and I people in Idaho Falls have said the same thing that they feel richer from having the two families here they they've seen the war between Ukraine and Russia so differently especially because the husband and wife are one is Russian and one is Ukrainian and they love each other and so it kind of reminds you that pilot politics are not the um, be all and end all of everything mm. that that people can can love and enjoy each other. When you were first 
sponsors, did you have anything that you wished someone would have given you as advice that maybe you had passed on to other Idahoans who are thinking about becoming sponsors? We spent the first three weeks not realizing that Idaho Office of Refugees existed. <laughs> and we did so much more work. And then when we found out that you, Holly, and Heather Webster, and Hannah Roche, and, and just various people are, are available to us, you shortcutted our our work so much and you connect us with people people who know more than us and that was that was huge. Tara Wolfson as well. She's the head of IOR and she personally came over to meet us and that has made everything so much easier and so much more enjoyable and opened all the resources we needed to us. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. And it's interesting because our office isn't told who the sponsors are until they come to us for, you know, government privacy reasons, since you don't sign up through IOR to be sponsors. And so it's interesting to know there are people out there, there's five right now, actually, in Idaho, five more Welcome Corps sponsor groups approved waiting for their arrivals. And if they don't reach out to us, I don't necessarily know how to connect with them and share those resources. So okay. thanks for, I'm glad you found us. I'm glad we found you. And we've been so impressed with your leadership and your initiative and it's a really cool, I'm wondering if they're I'm like, we should have some kind of Idaho support group, right? For, for sponsors yeah. to connect with each other and learn from each other. And here's what worked or here's what didn't work. And here's a resource I wish I would have known about. So that's something that I'd like to maybe see a network form yeah. as more people step into these roles. Um, but thank you. I'm so glad that, that we were able to connect. Um, anything you'd like to add before we jump into uh, you and Joe's workshop presentation? I don't think so. I yeah. mean, just so thankful to have done this. I I think <laughs> that it's uh, it has connected us with people around the state as well as sponsors, and we're so proud to be Idahoans and to be from Idaho Falls as well. That I guess I just want to say that 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 like a pharmacist here when she heard that the, we were stocking a medicine cabinet for refugees. She said, can I pay out of my own pocket for the supplies? And that's just one example mm -hmm. of the, the support. And so I, I guess I think people don't realize that there's so much available in Idaho in terms of people wanting to help and be supportive. Uh, and, I, and I hope that they'll be encouraged to do Sponsor Circles Welcome Corps and tap into all the all the people who just want to learn more and want to grow and want to support and offer help. Thank you, Kim. And I know that private bringing private sponsorships back is newer for this time of resettlement. It used to happen more in the '80s, where like a church group could get together, you know, sponsor a resettling refugee, and then more recently, it's just been resettlement agencies doing that work. But to reach more people, to allow for more people to be able to resettle. There is now a new option for people like Joe and Kim and other private American citizens to join together and really be that, do the services that a resettlement agency would do for the first 90 days of somebody's arrival. And Kim, I'm sure that post 90 days, you know, you're still engaged and involved, but really the that crucial 90 day financially and transportation, guidance the sponsor circle really is responsible for guiding that new family so if you're interested in learning more 
um, check out welcomecore.org. It is a big commitment. You join with at least four other parties, you raise money, um, and you do commit to this family. So check it out if you're interested. But thank you so much, Kim, for sharing your experience. You're welcome. Thank you, Holly. Sponsor Circles, Lessons from a New City. Uh, the new city is Idaho Falls, Idaho. I'm Joe Mitchell, this is my wife Kim Mitchell. Uh, I'm gonna do the first run through and then Kim's gonna fill in any holes and then we'll have some time for Q&A. We've done two sponsor circles now, one for Afghans and one for Ukrainians. We also started a 501c3 and all three things have the same name, Idaho Falls Bridge Builders. So it's a little confusing, but Idaho Falls Bridge Builders refers to all of those things. Um, if you are a philosophic minimalist, you will love my Google Slides. <laughs> Here's how we're going to go through the process here. I'm going to give you, I'm going to start with the high point of our whole sponsor, sponsoring uh, um, process. I'm going to scroll back to the absolute low point. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of backstory on Idaho Falls, Idaho, a little bit of backstory on uh, Kim and me. I'll tell you a little bit about the newcomers that have, that have arrived in Idaho Falls, and then we'll do some, uh, some Q&A. And if you don't have very many questions for us, I have a list of questions for you guys. So I'll start with this one, and that is everyone should raise their hands once on these three questions. How many people live within 100 miles of Boise? Okay, of those remaining, how many live within 100 miles of Twin Falls? How many people don't fit in either of those two categories? Oh, this is great. That's exactly what I was hoping for. Uh, I will hit the high point, and this is in Idaho Falls, there's a group called the African American Alliance, and every year they do a Martin Luther King banquet, and it has turned into this huge, beautiful community event that gets, uh, sells out a banquet almost as big as this one here, about 400 people. It has all the community leaders, the, the mayor, uh, city council, the representative people from Senator Risch's office, and, and uh, each year, the AAA picks a nonprofit to feature during the banquet. And this year, they picked ours, uh, Bridge Builders. So we had the opportunity to tell our story to the community leaders all at the same time. And we thought the best way to do this would be to let the refugees tell the story in their own words rather than me talking. But with only five minutes, we didn't have time to do that. So what we did was... Uh, I've created kind of a ghetto recording studio in our farmhouse basement, and I had the guys go down in there. My son-in-law interviewed them, and then we all worked together to uh, create a, a video. Uh, the Afghan pilots chose the Afghan music, which is called My Land. Uh, I chose the other music, which is uh, Lecrae and Tori Kelly, and we put together this video. We showed it at the... Uh, the big community banquet. Can you guess the response of the community after showing this video? Um, what it actually was was a spontaneous standing ovation for these guys. 
they had never seen a standing ovation before and they kind of looked around and started clapping and then somebody said no no they're clapping for you uh, it was really a beautiful it was a beautiful thing and uh, for those of you that uh, took video of this video on your phones please don't post that anywhere that could be a security risk like on social media or on a website uh, we don't want to identify these guys in a way that could cause trouble for their families uh, back in Afghanistan. Um, now let's go to the, the, uh, the low point of the process. Um, this was right after we got approved to do a sponsor circle. So probably all of you guys know this, but uh, the resettlement infrastructure has been since the Refugee Act of 1980 such that refugees are only resettled within 100 miles of an agency. So the two agencies in Idaho are Boise and Twin Falls, which is why I asked you the question earlier. Uh, Idaho Falls is outside that range, and so we have not had any refugees there for uh, more, than, more than 40 years now. Um, so we wanted to start volunteering on this, but there was not, nothing we could do in, in our own city. So Kim was, my wife Kim was paying pretty close attention when the State Department announced sponsor circles for Afghans, October 21st, 2021. We put in an application almost immediately. We got approved and then we're like, yikes, we better start really building up our support. And we thought, well, where do we start? We thought, well, uh, let's try our, our home church, the church we've been going to for the last uh, 30 years. So we emailed them and we said, um, we'd like you to support us really at any level you want to. You could just let us stand up and make an announcement on Sunday or you could give us a little money or you could do this as like, this is the, the church's refugee sponsorship program. Um, and they emailed me back and said, we discussed it. Before you come in and make your pitch to the elder board, we want you to answer these uh, 25 questions. So the 25 questions ranged uh, from uh, sensible to pure uh, toxic. Uh, we had questions like, will this be a raghead goat herder that snuck onto the plane with illegal papers? Can you personally guarantee that they will not start a jihadist cell in Idaho Falls? And so these are my friends, like this, these guys that I'm gonna go meet with. And to be honest, I was fired up. So I went in there not uh, deferential at all. I went in to this elder board meeting, 15 guys in there, and I said, man, it seems like you guys have been uh, listening to Tucker Carlson a lot more than you've been reading your Bibles. And um, that did not go over real well. <laughs> Within 30 seconds, every single person in that room felt put down. They felt like I was trying to make myself the, uh, the good Christian in the room. They felt talked down to. And it, uh, it went downhill from there. And so we, we talked for... 30 minutes. It was, it was a fiasco, a disaster. Um, when I went back home, I got an email from the, the chairman and he said, we talked about it. We're not going to support you at all. You, uh, you cannot even mention this um, in our church. And so reflecting back on this, 
I don't know that there is a way that I could possibly have handled this situation any worse than I did. <laughs> so that was the low point. Uh, what that did do though was it took us from thinking of this as a, as a small project to a community-wide project. And in the long run, it was actually a huge benefit for us. It worked out really, really well. Okay, backstory on Idaho Falls. Haven't had refugees in a long time. Uh, Idaho Falls is a different city than Twin Falls. Um, if you include the metro area with Ammon and Yukon and Iona, there's about 100,000 people there. Uh, it's pretty conservative. It's six points redder than the Idaho average. Uh, super strong economy, both Idaho National Laboratory and the agricultural uh, sector. Um, it's not dairy, that's Twin Falls. Idaho Falls is uh, potatoes and, and uh, barley. Uh, there's a new community college there as of about four years ago, the College of Eastern Idaho, uh, to go along with the College of Western Idaho here, which has been great. And our personal backstory, uh, we feel like we love people because God loved us first. Um, we had the chance to live with our kids as expats in rural Tibetan China for seven years, and we were really welcomed into a community there, uh, essentially adopted into a family unit, and uh, that made such a huge impact on us. What a, what a joy it was is to be welcomed as outsiders into a new community. And then we also felt like, especially with the, with the Afghans, that we have a a moral obligation to our allies to stand by them. So I think if you're thinking about doing a welcome core, uh, there's never gonna be just one reason why, there's gonna be a, a list of reasons why. So with us, this is just the start of the list, but these are three of the important reasons. Um, the process, sponsor circles, I think we're basically the beta test for Welcome Corps. We were even told that when we started with sponsor circles is like, oh, if, the, if this works well, it'll become more permanent and it'll become uh, a kind of a, uh, a revamp of, of, or an addition, uh, an enhancement to the uh, resettlement world. And with the, Afghan sponsor circle, we put in our application in around January 1st. Uh, we were told we'd hear something in I think 60 days, we heard nothing. 90 days, nothing. It was just like, it just went into a total black box. Uh, maybe out at about 110 days or so, we got an email and it said, hey, are you guys ready? Because we have some people that have made a match and they'll be here next week. So uh, then, we, then we started scrambling and it became really real. We had actually started to wonder, how do you stop a sponsor circle application? Is it open-ended for the rest of your life? Like we have rivers to float and mountains to climb and stuff, we can, but, it, but they, they finally did uh, get us um, matched. And interestingly, the Afghans had some agency in the process they didn't get placed in sponsor circles. They only were in them, as we understand it, if they volunteered to be, and they could look at different sponsor circles and uh, have some choice in which one to be matched with. 
And the three, the three men in the Afghan circle are all uh, Hazara minority from, from Afghanistan. And they, they all said, we looked at pictures of Idaho and it looks like Bamyan. Uh, they said, it looks like our home. And they also said, and we love potatoes. So here we are. <laughs> Um, the sponsor circle for Ukrainians worked totally differently. Um, in that one, we used the Welcome Connect website to find a match. And the way you do that is you upload your description of your sponsor circle to this portal. And then uh, Ukrainians who are waiting for uh, people to sponsor them with I-134s look at your profile and they write a description and say, oh, I think this is a good match. And so as soon as I uploaded it, probably in uh, November 2022, it just started pinging, ding, ding, ding. And all these different Ukrainian families started showing up that I could look at and kind of like swipe left, swipe right kind of thing. And we started communicating with them and finally uh, uh, chose to pursue sponsorship of a three-generational Ukrainian family who will arrive in Idaho Falls uh, today. Um, it's been really fun and such an educational process. Like the Afghan sponsor circle, the process was very opaque. But with the Ukrainians, it's been very transparent because you move from the Welcome Connect portal to WhatsApp almost immediately. So I've been exchanging WhatsApp messages with this family for a couple of months, and it really let me get a, um, a window into what they're concerned about because they would send me messages about rumors that were going around this transitional housing place in Germany where they were, uh, and then uh, there was a like a, a bunch of posts on on a reddit uh, thread about travel authorizations for Ukrainians getting canceled as they were getting on the plane and they would have to start over the whole process and they're like we're so scared about this that we're going to go to the airport and we're going to get our TAs uh, canceled at the last minute and they were sending me screenshots of these other people on reddit that that had happened to and uh, who knows how many of them really happened or whether they were legitimate, but uh, it gave me a window into what their world was during the process of waiting uh, to get authorization uh, to come here. Uh, Welcome Corps, I was really glad this morning we talked quite a bit about Welcome Corps here, and I feel like the sponsor circles were, were a beta test for Welcome Corps. So pretty much everything that we've learned in the last year I think applies really well to, to Welcome Corps. Okay, here's what you do as a sponsor circle. Uh, a lot of this will look pretty familiar. You help find housing, the first job. Uh, housing in Idaho Falls is just as tight as Boise, if not worse, but we have had a couple of very generous organizations and individuals uh, donate transitional housing in an open-ended way. So this was like the easiest thing that we've done is, is find housing uh, for free, rent-free. Find the first job, super easy. Uh, we had several job offers ready before the Afghan guys uh, showed up. They got jobs as machine operators, $17 an hour, skilled, skilled jobs as soon as, they, as soon as they were ready to go to work, which was like three weeks after arrival. 
Uh, first month's food, we, we uh, connected with the Idaho Falls Muslim Association on this one because we don't have any experience on halal food. So they helped us and they took the guys out and did the first big grocery shopping run and showed them where to, uh, where to buy halal food. And the place, if you don't know, it's the chef store. Uh, and for some uh, odd supply chain reason, halal chicken was cheaper than secular chicken all summer. So we've been eating, Kim and I have eaten like 80 pounds of halal chicken. So get, got them a cell phone. Uh, they were very eager to get Wi-Fi and uh, that seemed like their biggest immediate concern, like they're really in a hurry. And we were a little bit like, oh gee, uh, 25 year olds. And then they said, well, we don't know if our wives are still alive and we want to check in with our wives. So kind of, kind of put things in perspective for us. Their wives are all uh, moving like from house to house every, every couple of months. Um, got donations. Oh my goodness, donations are so easy. Uh, we've got more donations than we can deal with. Um, all the way from stuff that I immediately hauled to the dump to furniture that's better than anything we have ever owned or ever seen. <laughs> so, range transportation, we totally underestimated how hard this was going to be. But we helped the guys find a job that was about seven miles from their house, no public transportation, and then we realized, well, gee, we're kind of on the hook, and so uh, we and a bunch of our friends took turns giving these guys rides. Uh, they were working 12-hour shifts, so it was really early. That was, that was something that we really should have thought through better. Uh, once they got the job, they opened a bank account. Uh, we had the medical checkup, the same kind of thing that uh, uh, you do here, only ours is in Aberdeen, uh, found a primary care doctor. Uh, with the three young men, they were all really motivated to retrain, so they all enrolled at the College of Eastern Idaho. So two of them were in nursing and one's in electrical engineering. And the College of Eastern Idaho has been uh, wonderful in this whole process. They have treated us and the pilots so well. They've had several meetings with all the uh, college leadership with the president, vice president, dean of students, and they'll just sit down and ask, how's it going? Is there anything we can do for you? Uh, the uh, chairman of the CEI Foundation, the president said, hey, can you find some money for these guys for spring semester? And he's like, yeah, I can find some money. So they've helped him with uh, scholarships. Uh, that's been a great relationship. Uh, that's been a, been a, a huge help to all of us. Uh, enrolled with Social Security, Selective Service. Uh, we were using the refugee medical assistance uh, through the Twin Falls office. Uh, signed up for the community benefits like, like SNAP. Helped them figure out the library. Uh, a big one was engaging an immigration attorney because they, they showed up as uh, humanitarian parole visas and they needed to get asylum in order to start the process to bring their wives here. Uh, two of the men have been married about nine months before the fall of Kabul. The third guy had been married for two weeks before the fall of Kabul. So they haven't seen their wives in a year and a half. We've been really plugging, 
the Afghan Adjustment Act all we can as well because that would help uh, speed things along. Um, we got them connected with the Idaho Falls Muslim Association. That was awesome. They invited uh, Kim and I to the to the Eid al-Fatir meal and one of the end of Ramadan meals and it's been super fun. Uh, they've been a great encouragement. Um, we helped with English. Uh, Kim is an ESL teacher which was really helpful and then uh, they all had good enough English to plug straight into uh, college. So it's a stretch, but they all are uh, immersed in English every day in, in college. Um, we helped them file all the required forms, the change of address, all, all that stuff that you do. Um, we helped them just do the community orientation, like people were talking about, how to dial 911, how to interact with the police. Uh, so basically we're doing a lot of the same stuff that you guys know how to do in the resettlement world. It's just that we didn't know how to do um, any of these things when we started. So we have had to learn as we, as we went. These are some of the groups that have been great supporters of us. Uh, the Muslim Association, African American Alliance, uh, college. Uh, several churches, and it's interesting, the First Presbyterian Church was really interested in, in uh, education, so they actually paid for the fall semester of college for the three guys. Uh, Christ Community Church uh, uh, bought them a, a car and helped them with transportation. Uh, St. John's Lutheran helped them with housing. Uh, the Rotary Club was great. They, they gave a, a big donation for us. Uh, we're going to speak at the Exchange Club next week. Um, the, one of the LDS Relief Societies got on board with donations and they gave us all kinds of great things. Uh, lots of just individual friends in the community have, have jumped in and helped out in different ways. And this was a very pleasant surprise to us, but the, the congressional delegation, the mayor's office from Idaho Falls and Ammon have all been very supportive. They've been a, uh, an encouragement and not an opposition. So I told you a little bit about the three uh, pilots. You Probably a lot of you have heard of the last flight of the Afghan Air Force when they flew all 59 planes out of Afghanistan uh, when, the, when the government fell August 15th and to Tajikistan and Uzbekistan. These guys flew three of those 59 uh, planes and the, one of the clear reasons was so that those uh, aircraft wouldn't fall into the hands of the Taliban. The Taliban basically doesn't have an air force because the air force flew it all out of the country. So when they landed, it was all without uh, authorization. So they went to uh, detainment camp for a couple of months. They all lost about 25 pounds. U.S. Air Force helped them uh, spring out to United Arab Emirates where they did the background checks. That took about six months before they could come to the U.S. Uh, the three guys, um, the Hazara minority group is super cool. Like one of the reasons the Taliban dislikes them so much is they have a really high view of women and a really high view of women's education. And so the three men's wives are all uh, college educated. And one of them has a great story 
uh, the, the marriages for all three of the guys were pretty much family arranged, but the young man and the young woman have some input into the process, and one of the guys uh, said, uh, well, I, yeah, you can set me up with this girl, but I have one condition. And the girl said, yeah, you can set me up with this guy to marry, but I have one condition. And his condition was, she needs to be willing to finish college. Her condition was, he needs to allow me to finish college. So they did that independently. It's pretty cool. Um, these guys are very outgoing, self-confident. You could tell on the video, they're, they're, they're happy to tell their stories and uh, have just been on the college campus and in their workplace. They've been like celebrity rock stars. Uh, pe people just really love them. They've been such a perfect first set of refugees for a new community. It, it couldn't have worked out any better that way. The Ukrainian family that we did all the, the messaging with, uh, they're interesting because the husband's Russian, uh, the wife's Ukrainian, and their biggest concern was that he would get deported from Germany back to Russia and be drafted into the Russian army. So we felt a little bit like if we uh, sponsored this family versus a different family. It's kind of like we're taking one, one soldier out of the Russian army, which we thought was, was kind of cool. Uh, they've been just really responsive. If you do give them a WhatsApp message, they respond immediately and they ask us lots of questions. They've been just really engaged and uh, told, us, told us their appreciation a hundred times. We've just, we've so much enjoyed them and um, we're really looking forward to meeting them in person. So building up the community support, like that story I described to you with the church elder board, that was like going into a room that's kind of like uh, seeping with gasoline and throwing a match on it, that's, that's a bad way to do it. So uh, if you walk into a room in Idaho, you don't want to start by criticizing Jesus or Muhammad or Joseph Smith or Tucker Carlson. So don't do that. <laughs> the way you should do it and the way it finally started working for us was you get one group behind you or one person behind you, you let that person introduce you to the next person that person introduces you to the next person. And that's what's happened with us that actually, that actually worked uh, really well. So the Habitat for Humanity executive director introduced us to First Presbyterian Church. They introduced us to the next group and so on. And we've just built it up like, uh, like Legos. So some of our big picture lessons. Uh, we expected to like this process. We lived overseas, we're kind of xenophiles a little bit, but we loved it even more than we expected. Just the, just the interact and the direct contact with, with the refugees has been really, really fun. They have such tragic stories, but we spent so much time laughing. It's just been, it's been great. And they've also uh, really taken us into their their families. Uh, Kim messages with the three wives pretty much every day. She tutors them in English uh, over WhatsApp and 
it's just been really fun. Uh, and the other thing was the community support, we thought this is important, we want to do this, we're not sure if Idaho Falls will get behind it or not, uh, but they really have. They've gotten behind it so much more than we ever, uh, than we ever guessed they would. So that's been great. Some of the like detail lessons that we've learned, um, the idea of doing this independently really worked out. So by not doing it as part of a church, we could get donations from other churches and there didn't have to be anything weird between one church giving another church money. So doing it independently as a 501c3 and as a sponsor circle worked out really, really well. Uh, first time for everything, that means we'd never signed up for SNAP before. There's like all these things we'd never done before. Uh, one of the things that when we realized, hey, we're getting up at 6 a.m. to give these guys rides to work, we realized it would be great if they got a driver's license. And they were very motivated to get a driver's license. However, even though they were all fighter pilots, none of them had ever driven a car before. So I took them out on the desert in a 95 4x4 with a standard transmission, and we banged around. Uh, they were terrible drivers. Um, one of the guys pulled out onto the highway, and you know when you taxi an airplane, you go right down the yellow lines? He got out on the highway and drove right down. It's like he's taxiing an airplane. Uh, but they learned really, really fast, and we got a car donated. They all took their... Uh, driver's exams and got licenses really fast. Um, one other story, uh, one of the guys, when he took his exam, he failed the eye test. And the reason he failed was the person at the DMV said, okay, read the next set of letters uh, horizontally. And he read them like this. And read the next set of letters vertically. He read them like this. So he just didn't know those two vocabulary words. He got them mixed up. So they would not let him take it again. They said, oh no, you have to go to an eye doctor and get your eyes checked. So remember, this guy's a fighter pilot. Uh, so he goes to the eye doctor, gets his eyes checked, and the doctor's like, what in the world? You have the best eyes I've ever seen. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I'm a fighter pilot. So we went back and passed the test. So they all got their driver's license. Uh, we've had three cars donated, and uh, that's worked out really well. Um, we went down to CSI two or three times. Zayze walked us through the whole operation and he would say, okay, here's our person that does uh, housing. And we'd be like, oh yeah, we've done housing. Here's our person that does jobs. Oh yeah, we've done jobs. Here's the person that does English training. Oh yeah, we've done English training. And what I realized was uh, we did not have a specialty in any single part of this process. Our specialty as a sponsor circle was the people. We knew these three guys really, really well. We know their wives, we know their nephews' names and all this stuff. So that's, that's, what, our, that's what our specialty is as a, as a sponsor circle, as the individuals that you sponsor. Uh, you, you have to show it's something like $2,500 a person, I think with Welcome Corps. Uh, that was easy to raise, and we got so many donations, especially the, the rent-free housing, we didn't use most of that. It, I think we, we only used about a thousand per person for the resettlement. Uh, so it was less money. It was more time. Uh, 
If you do start a welcome corps, it'd be great if you have somebody on the team who doesn't have a full-time job. I'm a retired engineer, Kim's a retired teacher, so we're pretty much free to be on call and jump in and do stuff. Uh, but it took a lot of time, especially the first maybe 30 or 40 days. Our first sponsor circle, we had a couple of, uh, we had three people in their 20s. That was really cool because that was the same age as the guys we were sponsoring, and I'd, I'd recommend that if you can swing it. Um, so there was a, a watershed moment in our uh, sponsor circle, which was, this was about two weeks into the process, and we were just going through the checklist, going to Social Security, going to sign up for SNAP, and the thing that I was working on was find an immigration attorney. So we went down and met with the guy in Idaho Falls, and he didn't really know anything about Afghans, and he started to tell us the price, and we're like, whoa. Uh, so I started just calling immigration attorneys and that had anything to do with Af Afghanistan. And I, I talked to a lady in Utah, and she said, uh, yeah, I could do this, but you really ought to find somebody in, in your state. It'd be better when they do the asylum interview. And she said, uh, are you working with the Idaho Office of Refugees? And I was like, the what? <laughs> we literally did not know that the Idaho Office of Refugees existed until uh, the immigration attorney uh, had this conversation with me. And she said, yeah, every state has a, a state office of refugees. Sometimes it's part of the state government. Sometimes it's a, it's a nonprofit that sits side by side. And that's how it is, obviously, with Janice. So I got uh, in touch with Tara. Wolfson, and then things really started to pick up speed after that. Uh, the uh, CSI was the same way, uh, connecting with Zeze, and this is amazing to me. There's, what, 1,200 people resettled in Idaho last year. Uh, three of those people were in Idaho Falls. The Idaho Office of Refugees and CSI never made us feel like, oh, yeah, you're just a tiny little uh, splinter of our big... Uh, big massive operation. They made us feel like, oh, you guys are super important. We're going to do everything we can to help you. They never, uh, they were amazing. It's just um, a great, I don't know if all states have offices like this, but the Idaho uh, resettlement community is an amazing community. So thank you to both of those, both of those groups. Um, Thinking about how reproducible our experience is, uh, I really feel like we were in the right place at the right time in Idaho Falls. If you started a Welcome Corps group in Twin Falls, I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with refugees in Twin Falls, and they probably already had opportunities to donate time or money or both. Same thing with Boise. Uh, but in Idaho Falls, there was this backlog of benevolence, like people wanted to help refugees and they'd never had a outlet to do that before. So we had people literally like tracking us down, like, oh, we heard you doing this. We want to give you this. We want to give you this amount of money. We want to help you do this. Uh, that was actually why we started the 501c3 is we kept having people hand us money. We needed uh, a legitimate, like, uh, auditable way to handle uh, donations. So we started the nonprofit to do that. 
Uh, I would think in Idaho, if you tried to do this in Coeur d'Alene, it would work great. Coeur d'Alene would be such a great place for a, a Welcome Core community, uh, or Moscow, uh, or Rexburg. There's a lot of places in Idaho that this would, this would work really, really well. Um, yeah, I just mentioned the nonprofit. If you do this, there, with sponsor circles, there was essentially no financial oversight. Uh, they just wanted to make sure that you had enough money to do it. Uh, but you should keep your finances really squeaky clean uh, as a way to show your donors that you're on the up and up and just to make sure it's um, uh, reproducible and you can show where every, every penny went. Um, sponsoring the Afghans and Ukrainians has made our world so much bigger, uh, both having a context for what's going on in Afghanistan and feeling this really great connection with Hazara people, and, uh, but also made our world bigger in, in Idaho Falls. We've met so many people. We've lived there for 35 years, but we've, we, there were so many people who are great people that we'd never bumped into before, and, and now we have because of doing this. Um, you, minimum size for a sponsor circle or welcome core is five, and I'd really encourage you, if you do this, trust, trust the people. Like in this case, we're over here ironically doing this at the exact time that the Ukrainian family's flying into Idaho Falls. So the other members of the sponsor circle are picking them up, getting them settled, and, and so on. Um, that last one, don't apologize. Uh, if you do a welcome core, I would not recommend that you go to the mayor of Coeur d'Alene or the city council and say, do I have your permission to do this? If you're doing something legal, uh, you don't need permission from the city to do it. You should act as if it's, if it, it's, it's happening. You, other people don't need permission to move to Coeur d'Alene, so why should you need uh, permission to bring a refugee family there? And don't, don't apologize or ask permission. Uh, we've probably got 90, 95% positive feedback through this whole process. But the five or 10% of negative feedback has been pretty ugly. Um, my advice is if you hear somebody that's really just uh, spewing toxic stuff about uh, Muslims, um, just don't try to argue them out of that position. Just don't, don't, don't dissipate your energy on, on, uh, their, on their problem with the exception of if it seems like somebody might actually get killed because of this, then engage and get law enforcement involved. Uh, but if it's just somebody uh, spouting opinions, don't, don't waste your time. All right, uh, any questions for us? Yes. So she asked if we were gonna make any type of resource list for other groups. So we have a website that you can get to from that code. Uh, we don't have that resource list or like checklist, but we do have some information on there. Kim, Kim wrote up a really good article on our motivations. And I think just kind of going through uh, our website would help a little bit. And we would be very happy to coach people who want to start a welcome core circle. Uh, 
we won't be on your welcome course circle, but we'd be happy to help help it along. Uh, two questions. The second one's bureaucratic, but the first one will <laughs> be an easy one. I want to know whether your, you know, mostly positive experience changed the elders in your church. Did it change the community within your church, their perceptions of others? Okay, this is almost like you're being a straight man for me, because this is a story I forgot to tell. Uh, about five months after that disastrous elder board meeting, after the three pilots were in Idaho Falls, some of the elders had met them, I went back to that list of questions. I re-answered all the questions with more specific information. I apologized profusely for bringing up Tucker Carlson. And I said, would you guys please, uh, would you guys please reconsider? And they uh, have become one of our biggest uh, supporters. And uh, one of the guys who was the biggest uh, opponent, uh, I talked to on Sunday, and he's now one of our biggest supporters. So I'm so glad you brought that up because it's an incomplete story without how it resolved. It's what this conference is about, right? It's about connections. Yeah. And when you make human connections, it changes perceptions. So the bureaucratic question is, because it sounds like you guys were just off on your own doing your own thing, and nobody was checking up on you. But I'm pretty sure that sponsorship circles are connected you were connected to uh, Twin Falls probably, right? No. Okay, but, but so who was checking up on you? Because this was not private sponsorship, the Welcome Corps. And yeah, so who, who made sure okay. you were doing what so you the, were doing? Yeah, great, great question there too. The public-private partnership is with Community Sponsorship Hub. So they're the, the group that we send our applications into. When we get approved as a sponsor circle, we're matched with an umbrella organization. The umbrella organization in our case was Home for Refugees. So Home for Refugees has a staff member in Tijuana that we'd do a Zoom call with like once a month, and she would check up on us, and she's great. She would answer any questions that, that she could, and she uh, made sure that we were getting our 30-day things done in 30 days and our 90 things. I don't believe, I just checked with the three Afghan guys last week. I asked them, did anybody from any official sounding government agency ever check with you guys and make sure we weren't exploiting you or making you work on our farm or something? They're like, nope, nobody ever checked in with us. <laughs> that would be an enhancement, would be to get, uh, to have a direct feedback line from the refugees themselves. Great questions. Home for Refugees did a very good job, but one of the things, um, being um, not in Idaho, being in the gal being in Tijuana, she was able to help with general refugee stuff, but like Idaho Office of Refugees, she didn't know that was the name of our refugee um, uh, assistance group here um, in Idaho, the, the official group and there were lots of things that were local that she didn't know so we when we were floundering on those things she would give us some ideas where to look but she actually didn't know the answers to a lot of those things which was um, simply because she's not here she did her best and she did a really good job with what she knew so um, we're thankful for that oversight by home for refugees yeah so 
Thank you for your amazing story and uh, your efforts. Just the fact that you guys cared enough to do this is just phenomenal. Um, uh, th that said, there's all these people here who want to help and are helping, have been helping through the organizations like um, IOR and such. I think as this program rolls out and you guys have done this already, what do you see as kind of beyond your lessons learned, some key areas that had you known about before that existed in Idaho would have saved a lot of time and how would you advise as this program develops how it into how your groups like yourself could integrate with the systems that's already there and how do you work with that i think that's the biggest question in the room as it goes but as yeah. you walk through it what are your thoughts on that? yeah i think our experience is most applicable to places that have not had refugees so places like coeur d'alene or moscow or rexburg so in that case what we'd recommend is that that lego approach to community building and just keep going we've been getting new contacts uh this whole past year uh another here's another uh, recommendation the another watershed event was uh tara came and visited with us at a coffee shop when her daughter was going off to do knolls last year and uh she said, have you talked with uh, Senator Risch's office? And that had not crossed her mind. We got hold of Amy Taylor and Anna Sanchez at Senator Risch's office right away, and they've been uh, amazing. They've been some of our biggest supporters. So I would say finding a representative of your senator or representative that can be on your side would be a really good thing to do uh, in, a, in a new community. And I feel like you've probably done all these things already in Boise and Twin Falls. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but I feel like it. Yes? With the sponsor circle and the Welcome Core, is Welcome Core gonna be in places that are the 100 miles outside of refugee agencies, or they're gonna be in these places within the 100 miles? My understanding is Welcome Corps is open to every, every place, every place in the US. Okay. Both, so, both inside the traditional resettlement infrastructure and outside both. Okay. You, is that true? Great. Yeah, where I get a little concerned is how you had to pave the way there, like in our area, the way is paved. And we worked really hard to build relationships with the cutie for the clients. And then if we get a welcome core, then do they come to the agency to help them with things that have already been established? But they, the agencies work with us. It's not like you just send a person there. Those agencies still need support. I just wanted to hear what the thoughts were on. Yes, please. I've actually had the same question. I don't have an answer, but I do have the same question. I, I think it's going to be half and half in the sense that so what I wanted to hear 
earlier when I asked about kind of monitoring and who was checking up on you, and I, I heard like nobody, which is not really what was supposed to have happened. Welcome Core is being built uh, very purposefully. Of course, community sponsorship hubs were too, or circles. Um, people are going to be trained ahead of time. So you guys just kind of invented it and you figured it all out. People are going to go through training and they're going to be certified. But that's not going to build the connections, right? We're talking about two different things here. One is they're going to have a little bit of better idea about what it is that's in front of them and then they're going to be qualified, so to speak. But then there's going to be support from these. We've got, th I think it's three different agencies that we funded who are going to be supporting these um, sponsors. These sponsors, and, but the sponsors are still going to have to do all that list, and they're still going to have to build those connections. So in some ways, it'll be easier in a place that is already seeing refugees. So if somebody comes to Boise, hopefully a lot of those connections are already made. Is a sponsor group going to then lean on a refugee agency to help them? Hopefully not, because that's not the idea. The idea is that they're going to be out there doing it on their own. You know, if you're in a new place, then you're not going to be able to lean on a refugee agency, right? So you can still have to create all those connections yourself. But that's, that's part of the intention behind this program. I mean, these guys went to their church, which is a natural place to go. Sorry you screwed it up, but, <laughs> but it came around, right? Yeah, it did. And so that's part of, I mean, we're going to make Americans work hard like these guys did, but it's going to have this benefit that's going to be lasting. And so that's, you know, is it better than an agency? No. Is it just different, right? They're just totally different ways to approach the same problem and gets you what I think will be the same solution, right? Which is, number one, helping these people, helping these individual refugees, and frankly, helping our communities. I wanna say, I, I say one comment about your, you didn't want to approach your mayor, and I know that was not, and your legislative officials, but going back to think, to comment about Senator Reach's office, once you've got something working, mm -hmm. get your local elected officials involved because that's, again, how you're going to build these partnerships and relationships. So one, a couple comments there. We did have training with the Sponsor Circle program, but it was about two hours online. And it was really more stuff about cultural humility. It was really good, honestly, but it didn't uh, give you a master's degree in resettlement. It was just it was a pretty brief uh, training. Another comment is the best... Uh, uh, ambassadors for a refugee program are the refugees themselves and when I said don't ask permission what I meant was don't go ahead of time and say don't ask permission to bring refugees because if it's legal you don't need to ask permission but you take the given opportunity for the elected officials to meet the refugees and they they will win them over a lot better than 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 we can I, I also thought the process of meeting everybody in our town was really fun um, and then um, just the positive, um, doing it like a leg, Legos or a grassroots one, one connection at a time, um, I feel like that kept us from meeting too much opposition. And we got such a groundswell at the grassroots level that by the time this hit um, Idaho Falls at the leadership level and um, before it hit the media, um, it finally did hit the media. There was already a such positive um, 
feelings toward the refugees themselves um, and, and a lot of the leaders we had met just by leaders introducing us to the next leader, to the next leader, um, that, that already established just a nice, warm welcome. And the leaders understood that Idaho Falls wanted refugees um, at that point. And so it was nice not to, to go to the city council first, um, simply because we might have we don't know that we would have, but we might have experienced opposition. So by letting it go naturally, it um, really worked well in our case. One thing that keeps popping to my mind is the experience that these three gentlemen have. It's like they won the refugee lottery with you. Mm. Um, when I think about free housing, free car, job placement, and a loving community, I think you're right where you say a backlog of benevolence. Um, I'm familiar with Eastern Idaho and Idaho Falls and you know I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's a strong economy, there's a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of goodwill in mm -hmm. that area and they were there to support three people. And so I'm just wondering like how do you scale that? Um, and then I keep thinking about the equity among re resettlement experience, where as we try to create this throughout our entire state, I love what you said about Coeur d'Alene and you know, all these other beautiful areas of our state that we would love to open up to be welcoming homes for refugees. Um, how do we ensure that there's some level of equity among the experience of a resettled person that it's not like, well, you got the millionaire experience and you got the one notch from being how, you know, unhoused experience. Um, because it's tricky here, you know, like I'm, I'm seeing the pool of volunteers I have to work with and we're like trying to keep people from being unhoused. And, and I'm like, they got a car and free housing? Like, how do we sustain that? So I know that you don't maybe have the answer, but I just feel like what you created is what all of us wish we could offer to every refugee that yeah. sets foot in our community. And, um, and I don't know if that's more of a question for you or, or who in this room might have an idea with that, but as we embrace this new opportunity, um, you know, how do we, lean more toward the millionaire lottery experience than the like barely scraping by uh, resettlement experience. Is there some level of like minimum standard? I mean there's like the $1,000 or $2,000 or something right for 30 days or 90 days? What is it? 30, some, some small amount of days. 2,200 for 90 days. Okay. Sounds like you exceeded that by like so, a lot. So the, the men uh, had jobs within three weeks, so they didn't qualify for all the refugee cash assistance because they made too much money in their jobs. So they've been uh, largely self-supporting. They send a lot of their paychecks back home to Afghanistan to buy food and coal and firewood. Uh, so they've been, we did the financial counseling thing too, had them set up budgets and uh, we had a we had a, a expert guy help with that, and and then they've showed how they've been spending their money. So uh, you bring up a great point. It, you wouldn't want to expect this to be normative, 
but when there's so few people, it doesn't have to be normative. It can be individualized. I think it reminds me, I don't know if this is helpful or if this will be another match on the gasoline thing, but it reminds me a little of public school and homeschool experiences where public school is, uh, there's more equity there and homeschool is more polarized on like National Merit Scholars here and 10th graders that can't read over here. Uh, it's sponsor circles is gonna be a little more like uh, homeschool, I think. Sorry, we, yeah, we get to no, you're good. intercede. No, the other thing that I, I was thinking is, um, I think some of the agencies, I won't name names, um, are a little afraid that we're gonna take some of their business away, right? And, and I, it's kind of a crass way to put it. It's actually a way that some of the opposition people, you talked about opposition people, have talked about resettlement over the ages, you know, that it's a business and agencies are in it for, for money. And I, no, no business, no agency I know actually makes money on refugees, right? <laughs> this is a philanthropic, feel good, low paying job that changes lives. But on the other hand, if we can give some people an opportunity to win the lottery, and hopefully it'll all be like Idaho Falls and there won't be some place that was the opposite, then it takes some of the burden off of our agencies, right? Because then we're not slamming even more and more work on you and centralizing refugees in places where there are housing issues. I mean, it doesn't sound like you have a wealth of affordable housing either, but you don't have competition among refugee agencies also looking for affordable housing. So it's a way to, I think, distribute some of the work. And frankly, it's going to be like life. I mean, some people are going to have different experiences. And, you know, we're going to try to, for the sponsorship program, we're going to try to choose refugees who are not, do not need the most services because I think those refugees really should go to agencies that are qualified to serve, you know, severe trauma, medical needs, other types of um, issues that they are bringing with them. And... We'll try to give some of the less hard cases to sponsor circles, and then we'll hope that everyone turns out to be like an Idaho Falls experience. So if we would have lived in Boise or Twin Falls, we never would have started a sponsor circle. We would have come to you and said, hey, we want to volunteer with refugees. What, what can we do? So I in, in the way I, I see it is there's so many great opportunities in these places already, but there's so much of the American West that's not within 100 miles of an agency that uh, it's like cell phone coverage where you have all these blank spots in the American West. There's, there's been these blank spots. So I feel like that would be the best use of this in this context would be to just expand to new communities. And I can't remember one person this morning said, you kind of have people who know about refugees and then you have people who know nothing about refugees. In Idaho Falls, it was a lot of people who knew nothing. So by doing even just three people, or now seven people, uh, we've exposed another 100,000 people to the refugee world. So I think there's benefit in that. And I have struggled with those exact same uh, questions. Uh, both in the sense of these guys got the red carpet, but on the other hand, we got like these rock star fighter pilot refugees. <laughs> so we both, we both got a pretty sweet deal, and I think it benefits the community even more than it benefits them or, or benefits us. I have a quick question real quick. Um, so with the Welcome Corps refugees, my understanding is that part of the sponsor's job will be to connect them to long-term 
ORR benefits. And I think that's done through a resettlement agency, but maybe, so my question with that is what about these communities that are really far from a resettlement agency and what about resettlement agencies planning for their year ahead? At this point, they have approved numbers, numbers for fiscal year and if the Welcome Corps, I'm just wondering about the predictability of, of services needed for these agencies. So it's probably more of a Larry question. <laughs> I thought the hard questions were going to come this morning, but <laughs> I know, ran out of time. Um, so, well, refugee agencies are still going to be funded by ORR to provide services to their clients, and these will become their clients. So in that sense, I mean, predictability, if you heard Ken this morning talking about all the populations that agencies serve, um, a lot of these things are not 100% predictable. But on the refugee side, what I would say is, the number of people coming through sponsorship for the next year or two is gonna be fairly small. And so I think in terms of being able to fit those people into the ORR caseload will not be that hard. But if this grows, then I think we're gonna to have to probably find a way to maybe do better metrics. Okay, so my question is, after the first 90 days, when you have finished the RNP period, the technical RNP period, and now you're going into the other five years, et cetera. So did you feel that you were able to keep sustained support? Would you feel that you would be able to keep sustained support if you, say, did have a preliterate family with a single worker and six children? Which, I mean, I understand what you're saying, that these people will, not, will be vetted, and it's more so people like the single adults who are educated who are coming for sponsorship circles, but you're also getting Ukrainian family. Yeah, that and would be so more, more the situation with the Ukrainian family. And uh, one of the reasons that we started the nonprofit was because the 90 days or six months is too short of a time period to adequately do, do the job. Uh, what it did with us is we, uh, got to the 90 days, we had a big party, we said sponsor circle's done, and then we transitioned to the long-term support from the, from the nonprofit. But we would be willing to do that uh, uh, basically as long as, as, as necessary. Like we're, 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 we're uh, committed to helping these families become independent. So we'll, we'll continue helping until they get that. I think we had a question back. Oh, good, one here, okay. Thank you for um, just coming forward in, in this way. It's just um, incredible. Um, and I'm from Rexburg originally, so, okay. um, so I, I know about um, the opportunity there. But um, I will say, um, I, I haven't, I, and from a storytelling um, nonprofit um, to try to increase the number of welcomers and understanding um, and empathy and know how to take action on that. And so um, I have an interest in building capacity that, that Larry talked about. And um, so I'm wondering how we can use stories of sponsors, how Welcome Poor is going to build for public service announcements, or how are you advertising this in a way that can encourage people to step forward in this way? Um, so that, because I, our agency is having a hard time like knowing how to promote this um, 
so that we can increase the number of people. And, and not everybody is going to be a retired couple that can give full time, you know. And so figuring out how goodwilled people can actually do this service um, logistically. So every time I have a speaking opportunity, I always say, is anybody here interested in forming a sponsor circle? Because we'll, we'll help you do that. Uh, so far, I've not had a single person come forward and say, yeah, I want to do a sponsor circle. I've had lots of people say, no, I want to help you do a sponsor circle. <laughs> uh, but there has not been like this overwhelming uh, uh, people running to be first in line to, to, to do sponsor circles. I think that we were the first one in Idaho with the Afghans, and then I think we were the second one in Idaho with the Ukrainians, and as far as I know, there's not any other ones in, in Idaho so far. Okay. So um, I was wondering, when, you, when you're explaining all these things, I, it just recollects in me that if we look at the grand scheme of things, most refugee families are congregated in the city, which creates a handout scheme of things and trying to be self-sufficient sometimes in rural Idaho farmland, it's a little difficult. So it makes me think of the process that was done in Australia where they had they do take most of the refugees that were in the farm and they would offer an incentive in the city and they would offer an incentive to live in the farm areas. And then they would farm and they would be self-sufficient. They would have product that they would pattern and they would sell things. And that was their piece of land, like piece of heaven. And I was wondering if, if you look at it, if that's a possibility because there's so much housing in the cities and there's all this space, and I'm sure a lot of farmers would love such a program. Do you foresee this? I mean, if when I, I run a nonprofit that that's a grassroots nonprofit, Culture for Change, and I talk to some of these families, and some of them come from a farming background, mm -hmm. they would love to farm. They would love to live in those areas, but most of the services are in the city. I'm wondering, I'm thinking of Canaan right now, but I'm wondering, is there a way that Idaho could form something of a semblance to that? So this is just totally my opinion, but I think there would need to be a large enough city to offer a lot of the services. So I, I think uh, sponsor circles would work well in a, in, a, in a place the size of Moscow or Rexburg or Lewiston. I don't think it would work very well in Cary or Tensed, uh, it just seems like there need to be a critical mass, a big enough place to to have access to the to the services you need. But that's just my my personal opinion that I feel compelled to give you because I'm standing behind a lectern. Okay, we're at time. So, is there any closing remarks you'd like to give? Thank you for inviting us to do this. I really enjoyed it. It was uh, such, such great people here, and uh, thank you guys very much. Thank you for joining the conversation. For more information on how to be involved with refugee resettlement, please visit IdahoRefugees.org. Mosaics is produced by the Idaho Office for Refugees with grant support from the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust. Music by the Afrosonics. Production and partnership with SB Studios.